Today I want to talk to you about a subject I call unhindered prayer. I want to talk to you about the power of prayer. I want to read to you from James, the fifth chapter. Now, we read this verse last week, and I want to continue from here. He writes this, he says, you'll, you'll remember this part, Therefore confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why is that important? Because you don't want anything in the way that would hinder your prayers. Because he goes on to say the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Prayer changes things. Prayer is a powerful thing. It's actually getting the hand of God to move in a direction that you're asking God to move. And you know what? God loves to do that stuff. In fact, Jesus was always egging on his disciples. and said, man, pray, man. Ask God for stuff. Ask God for stuff. Whatever you want. If you trust him, he'll do it. He was constantly encouraging me. Why, why, why? Because God loves and delights in getting involved in the affairs of men and women. He absolutely loves it. If, you, if we really understand how excited and desirous God is to want to move in your life and to demonstrate his power in your life and to change your circumstances, if we really got it, ding, ding and this went on, man, we would pray a lot more. Because God really, really, really wants to do this stuff. You say, well, you know, I pray, but how come things don't happen? Well, there's the problem. There's the catch. Because we get into a, a situation where our prayers become hindered. When you get into a situation where prayers are not hindered, when the words come out of your mouth, up, touch the heart of God, God moves in powerful ways. Sadly, many, 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 many people of faith experience what I would call hindered prayers. They pray, it's like, it doesn't quite work. What is the problem? And, uh, and, and this is why James said, look, one of the things you need to do here is confess your faults to each other. Why? So it doesn't, you don't have sins and stuff and all this secret stuff hindering your prayers. And he refers to, in the very next verse, about Elijah. He says, Elijah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, was a man just like us. Now he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Boom. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. Boom. And the heavens gave rain. And the earth produced its crop. This is a man who experienced and lived in a state of unhindered prayer. And it produced quite a bit of confidence in his life. And, uh, and he was a very, very powerful prophet in the Old Testament. Now sometimes we read the Old Testament, just like these guys did. And you think, well, those guys were really holy. They were really special. They were really something. And James was saying, no, 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 no. He was a guy just like us. But he walked in this place of unhindered prayer. Now I want you to turn, well, you know, if you have your Bibles with well, you, can turn. Most people watch the big screen, but uh, I want to look at Kings, 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. This is the Old Testament. And I want us to look at this Elijah guy that he's talking about. And, and, and <laughs> what an incredible person. Uh, if, if you uh, get a chance to just read the Old Testament where you can read about Elijah. He's quite an amazing man who walked around in this incredible state of just confidence before God and did all kinds of incredible things. So we already know the setting here. He prayed that it would not rain. Why would he do that? Because the people were so wicked. They were turning away from God. They were turning and worshiping idols. They were in and out. You know, they, they, and they had this wicked king, Ahab, and his uh, wife Jezebel. You hear that word, that wicked Jezebel that comes from this situation. And uh, so uh, Elijah prophesies, because of your sins, there's not going to be any more rain. And he prayed, and boom, the rain stopped. So three and a half years later, now Ahab's been looking for this Elijah. Where is this little nitwit? Because I want to strangle him. Because he's praying these things. He's causing all these problems for us. So this Obadiah guy goes out. He meets, uh, um, finds Elijah, and then sets up this meeting. So we pick it up at verse 16. So I, Obadiah went to meet Ahab, this king, and told him, 
about the meeting, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? You create all this grief in our lives? And Elijah replied, Hey, I have not made trouble for Israel. You and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. What is a Baal? These were these uh, idols that they would worship. And uh, these people were really into this stuff. I mean, they would, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of what we would call sat- satanic worship today. These were really, really sick things. These people were into all kinds of perversions, uh, human sacrifices, all kinds of bizarre stuff, you know, that would repulse us today. But for some reason, they kept getting caught up in this weird, sick religion of worshiping these idols. So anyway, uh, Elijah's ticked off here and he says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to come and meet me on Mount Carmel. Okay? This is, he's calling like for the, you know, uh, showdown at the OK Corral. He, he's finally had it. And he says, Bring everybody over and bring those 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and who eat at Jezebel's table. They're all buddies with Jezebel, this wicked woman. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said... How long will you guys waver between two opinions? These guys were in, they were out. Well, yeah, we love God, but we like these bales. And God's kind of neat, but we like this other stuff too. And, and they were in and out. He said, how long are you going to be like this? He says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people said, nothing. Just staring at him. Then Elijah said to them, look, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal here has 450 prophets. So get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it in pieces and put it on the wood for an offering, okay, to their God. But don't set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but won't set fire to that as an offering to the Lord. He says, then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people say, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. We like this. This is great, let's do this. Now you have to understand, these prophets of Baal said, sure, no problem. They were all for this thing. They really, truly expected when they prayed to these idols and and to the satanic uh, presence that something would happen. Why would they think that way? Because things did happen for them when they did this. These people really experienced satanic expressions, supernatural expressions, and sometimes amazing expressions. You know, much like some people do today who are into spells and fortune telling and witchcraft and Satan worship, all these kind of weird, bizarre arts that people do, they experience stuff. Now, the reason they're able to experience something isn't because they are so powerful or because these spirits or these spells are so powerful. What these people do is they try to get into a place where there is the absolute absence of God, as far away from God as they possibly can, and then these powers bring forth themselves. It would be like if I held up a little LED light here this morning, you wouldn't be able to see it. It's not that big a deal. If I had a half a dozen of them, you, you wouldn't hardly see it. But if we turn off all the lights in here, and after your eyes adjusted, and I flip on the LEDs, everybody's going to go, ooh, ah, ooh, lights. Okay, because they're bright. Yeah, in the absence of other light, they shine, but they don't really have that much light. There are powers out there, boys and girls. There are satanic powers. There are all kinds of things that people are drawn to, trying to figure out their fortunes and this and that and spells and all these kind of uh, weird things that are out there today. And things do happen, but they only happen because of the absence of the presence of God. They get far enough from God, the more these things seem to shine. 
So these guys who lived in this complete vacuum of the presence of God would do all kinds of things. And their, their little LEDs would shine and they'd see satanic things and miracles. I mean, all kinds of weird, bizarre things would happen in, in these places. So when they said, you know, let's have the showdown, they all said, cool, let's do it. Bring it on, baby. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, okay, choose one of the bulls and prepare first. You guys go first, since there's so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull, fully expecting a demonstration of the power of these spirits. And uh, they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, suck it to me, Baal. Come on, Baal. Do something, Baal. And they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. You know why? Because when the God of heaven shows up, the LEDs don't look very bright at all. When the power of God shows up, all the stuff that people try and turn to on their lives don't mean jack squat compared to the God of heaven and earth. Well, they kept on going and they danced around the altar that they had made. Come on, Baal. Sock it to me, Baal. Come on. The band's playing. And they're all trying. Come on, Baal. Come on, Baal. Do something cool, Baal. Let's show these people some razzle-dazzle, man. Let's go. Well, <laughs> so they started this in the morning. Well, by noontime, Elijah starts to taunt them. And makes fun of them. And says, shout louder, boys! Surely he's the God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Now the translators of the Bible often try to play it so safe and and, uh, not to be offensive. But uh, uh, I heard one Bible teacher teach that really this phrase, perhaps he's in deep thought, is the same phrase they would use of maybe he's in the John. (laughs) You know? Maybe he's going poopy. Come on, yell a little louder. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's sleeping and has to be awakened. I mean, you got to hand it to Elijah. This is one gutsy guy. 450 guys are doing all this satanic worship and all these spells, spells, cats are doing things, and he's out there going, la, 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 la. Why? Here's a man who's confident. He knew what it was to experience unhindered prayer. So they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom part of their rituals and their blood flowed. Well, midday passed and they continued the frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. They did this all day long and they were stunned. Why isn't anything happening? There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him. It's his turn. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, uh, the father of uh, one of the patriarchs, whose name eventually became Israel, hence the people of Israel, to whom the word of the Lord came, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed, you know, which was a bunch, you know, a big open trench all the way around it. People thought, what in the world is he doing? And then he arranged the wood and he cut the bull into pieces of the sacrifice and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now, wait a minute. If you're hoping for spontaneous combustion, you don't pour water. On stuff. Kind of ruins the whole fire thing you're going for, right? So he does that. He pours all this water on it. And then he says, do it again. 
So they fill these four large things and they pour it all over everything, sopping wet. And he says, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. This thing is sopping wet. People probably thought this prophet has lost his mind. Why would he do this? He was a confident man. He knew what it was to experience unhindered prayer. He knew what it was to call out to God and God would hear and answer. So anyway, at the time of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So he offers this prayer out loud before them and up to God. And suddenly it says, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones. That's a hot fire. And the dirt. I mean, it licked up all the water in the trench. I mean, God just nuked the place. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He's God. The Lord, He's God. I bet it probably freaked the willies out of them. Power of God. Boom! Falls. And then, if you read the rest of the story, finally rain comes back on the land. That is the power. One example in the Bible of unhindered prayer. So the question is, if... That's what happens with under what happens what hinders our prayer what can get in the way of our prayers to keep us from really experiencing God like we should how come we aren't experiencing more of God in our lives you know it's really difficult not to read the bible and wonder how come we don't see this stuff today and not even the bible just the last 2000 years of christian history of the great revivals and stuff god moving Throughout, even, even early at the founding of this nation, we think, why don't we see that stuff today? Why don't we experience more of God today? Is there something wrong with God? I don't think so. If you feel like God has moved away from you, guess who moved? You. We do things that get in the way of our connection with God. And then we struggle. This morning, I want to talk to you real briefly about three things and this is not an exhaustive uh, study on the matter and maybe we'll pick up and and talk about some other things but uh, later on as we go but I just want to hit on three real quick things that can hinder your prayers okay number one unbelief we read in gospel of Mark a man comes to Jesus said teacher I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech and whenever it seizes him it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid I asked your disciples, that's really who he brought him to, to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. (laughs) I love this. It's it's amazing how often Jesus with his disciples just went, oh, good grief. How long am I going to be stuck with you guys? He goes, oh, believing generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? It was so frustrating to him. He would teach the faith, teach the faith, teach the faith. It was like, they just wouldn't get it. He said, bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, so far, the dad has done all the right things. He hears about the power of God coming from Jesus. He brings his son, who knows how far he had to come, to bring him to be in contact 
with Jesus. He's talking directly to Jesus. He's done all the right things. You would think this is great, right? Except that even though he's done all the right things, he's still in a bad place. Because he uses the phrase, if you can do anything. See, unbelief. Unbelief. You can do all the right things. You can be in church and, and, and say the right prayers and stuff. But if in your heart you just don't believe God really cares about you and won't answer your prayers, this will hinder your prayers. Well, Jesus looks at him and goes, if you can... Everything is possible for him who believes. Well, immediately, the boy's father gets a hold of himself and says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, everybody thought he was dead, but Jesus took him by the hand lifted him to his feet and he stood up number one watch for unbelief watch for unbelief say well pastor how do you get more faith you know the bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God you want to increase your faith get in the bible read the bible take the time now you don't have to read all of it in one setting you can't do it it's too big but take bits and pieces of the scriptures read them and learn from them because when you do that it builds faith inside of you why is that important because you want to get to a place of unhindered prayer you want to get to a place where you can pray and be absolutely convinced because of the faith that you've been growing from your studies in the scriptures that you can expect God to do real things and I don't know about you but I need God in my life if I were to ask how many here are looking for a miracle or trusting God for something but virtually every hand will go up everybody needs God wants God moving in their lives Let's build our faith, grow in our faith. I'm glad you're here this morning. This is it's a big step for a lot of you, just to come to church, but it's an important thing. Come where you can hear about God, where your faith can grow. But don't just wait for words coming out of my mouth. You know, you can study on your own and be hungry for God and get involved in life groups. Some of you can come on our Wednesday night Bible studies, whatever, and, and get involved and get the word of God inside of you because this will transform you. It is powerful stuff. It'll put you in a place of faith. Because instead of all of a sudden thinking doubts in your head, when you get into a situation where you need God, faith will pop into your head because you're in a place of faith. And you can expect God to do great things. All right, so number one. Here's another one that we find in the uh, uh, New Testament uh, that can hinder your prayers. Now, this one, this, this one might hit a lot of people. But uh, just conflict in your home. Conflict in your home can keep your prayers from being answered. Now, if you don't care about your prayers being answered. If you don't need God to do anything, if you don't need God to bless you financially, if you don't need God to help you with your health problems, if you don't need God to turn around situations in your life, who cares? Yell and scream at each other, go at each other all day long. But you want God to hear your prayers and to answer your prayers? You've got to get to a place where there's so much conflict and meanness and nastiness in your home. Peter writes about this. He writes, Husbands, In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. What does that mean? It means don't be inconsiderate. All right? Don't take her for granted. Don't be mean and nasty to the lady. Be nice to the girl. And treat them with respect. 
I don't, I don't, I don't like that part of the Bible. <laughs> Treat the girl with some respect. Quit dissing her. Men who talk to their wives nasty. Yeah, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Hey, knock it off. You want God to bless your life? You want God to answer your prayers? You got to be nice to that girl. Treat her with respect is the weaker part. Her. Weaker in what sense, Pastor? Well, physically weaker is what the Bible's talking about because he goes on to say because she's an heir with you of the gracious gift of life. In other words, she gets the same blessings that you got coming. It's not that you're better than her in any way, shape, or form. But why would you do that? Why would you? Why would I be considerate and why would I treat her with respect? Why should I be considerate and why would I? Why would a man go out of his way to do that? Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Again, if you don't want God answering your prayers, treat her like garbage. You don't want God blessing you financially? Yeah, who cares? Ignore. Don't pay attention to her. You want God blessing your life? You need to treat that girl with respect and be considerate to her. Because if you do not, it will hinder your prayers. <laughs> Some of you guys are looking at me like, rats. Now I'll end with this one. I mean, this is this is this is really could have started with this one. This is the should be the most obvious one. One of the biggest reasons people don't have God answering their prayers or their prayers are being hindered is because of deliberate sin. Now, again, I'm talking about deliberate, obvious stuff the Bible teaches us not to do, and you do it anyway. And we all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with sin. If being tempted is a sin, I'm going to hell. Alright, we're all tempted. We all face stuff that comes at us and pulls on us. But I'm talking about making the decision. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. And I'm stunned by the amount of Christians that do things that are blatantly against the scriptures. And they know it, but they don't care. They justify it. They make excuses. But then they're shocked why prayers don't get answered in their lives. Sin is a biggie. Isaiah writes about this. He writes, he says... Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. What is he talking about? The people were crying. How come God isn't answering our prayers? Why isn't God? We are asked, can't he do it? He says, sure he can do it. He can reach out and pull you out of that. His arms aren't short. Well, doesn't he hear us when he prays? Absolutely, he can hear you when he prays. Then why? Why isn't God answering our prayers? Isaiah goes on to explain. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now again, we all struggle. Nobody walks around here perfectly. We all have our temptations. We all have our times when we slip, we mess up. I get that. But I'm talking blatant stuff. I'm just, you know, it's like people who, Christians who blatantly, with no resistance, lie like crazy. They lie about everything. They lie about where they've been. They lie about where they're going. They lie to their boss. They lie to all. Come on. You know, man, how come God isn't answering my prayers? Because you're lying. Stop. Stealing. There's, there's the biggies. You know, there's the biggies in the Bible. I should not kill. I should not sin. You go around stabbing people to death. You're going to have a hard time getting your prayers answered. I don't know what that has to do with anything. 
stealing stuff that isn't yours, being dishonest, these are all sins. And the biggie, the biggie, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced this is probably the number one thing that is keeping God from moving in the lives of people who call themselves Christians is sexual sin. I talk about it all the time. Sexual sin. And I'm not talking tempted. We're all tempted. I'm tempted. I am a red-blooded man. Just like anybody else. But the difference between temptation and blatantly doing stuff you know is wrong. People who commit adultery, who claim to be Christians, and think nothing of it. And they have excuses for it. Well, you know, I know we shouldn't, but... You know, we, did, I didn't, we didn't mean for it to happen, but we fell in love. No, you fall in toilets, you don't fall in love. <laughs> Single people who are all over each other sexually for crying out loud. And then you wonder, why, does, why doesn't God bless us? Why isn't God answering my prayer? I want God to do this for me. I want God to, but you're doing something. You know it's blatantly wrong. And I talk to you all the time. I hear this all the time. It's like, the excuses, well, but we really love each other. Well, we think we're eventually going to get married. Or It's really not really sex. Hey, Bill Clinton. <laughs> if it involves this general area, it's sex. Back it off. <laughs> completely clueless. Completely clueless. This has nothing. I remember one lady. Single girl, coming, this is years ago, coming to me for counseling. Wasting my time, I might add. Wanting, why isn't God blessing my life? She really had some real needs she needed answered. She had some prayers. She'd been praying diligently. She'd been coming to church. She'd been doing theoretically all the right things. Why isn't God doing something? Why? And I'm trying to share with her. I'm trying to share. I don't know why. And she'd come again and she said, I'd give her some advice. And still she'd come back and says, nothing's working. What? Well, if nothing's working, I get very suspicious. So let me ask you a question. She says, yeah, I says, are you behaving yourself? What do you mean? You doing anything you shouldn't do? I don't think so. Got a boyfriend? Yeah. Are you doing anything you shouldn't be doing? No. Well, well, he likes it when I, and then she used some phrase I'd never heard of before. And I went... What? Well, he likes it when I... Again, she used the phrase. Again, I had, I'm not very hip. I had never heard this phrase for this activity before. And I leaned forward again. I said, What? And she said, Well, you know, he likes it when I... And then she says it in plain English. And I went, Ah! And I busted out laughing because it was hilarious. She never came back, by the way. Kind of a drag when you go to your pastor and you bust out laughing at your problems. But I'd never heard that phrase. So I, oh my gosh. And I, I said, hey, you can't be doing stuff like that. Well, I know, but, 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 but why isn't God answering my prayer? Hello, you're wasting my time. Your sins will separate you from God. Men, men who are just addicted to pornography and looking at stuff that they shouldn't be looking at. Now, again, I get the temptation, but I'm tired of the excuses. Oh, I can't help it. I can't help it, Pastor. No, of course you can't. You know, you're in bed and these little porn gnomes 
come up and grab you and drag you out of your bed. <laughs> Stick you in front of a computer and force you to masturbate. There's no control there. I understand. This is the gnomes. It's the gnomes. <laughs> Police. And then you wonder, why isn't God blessing me? Man, I'm praying for a miracle. I need a financial turnaround. I'm praying for my business. I'm praying for a new job. I'm praying this, that, and the other. Why isn't God? You know, oftentimes the idea of doing something that's wrong isn't enough motivation for people to stop the offending behavior. I talk about these things all the time. Preachers talk about these things all the time. People just, well, yeah, 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 come up with all the excuses. We don't take it very seriously. We don't really... We're very quick to make excuses of why we can't stop. And you have a culture that tells you you can't stop. Your kids in school, they're constantly telling your kids they can't stop. Everybody does it. You're going to do it. Kids are going to go have sex. They're but animals. Around, you know, convince you, you know, evolved from an ape or something somewhere. They can't stop, so we can't stop. Chickens can't stop, so your kids can't stop. Convincing them. Just like we're animals. I'd love to stop, Pastor, but I can't. I don't know why I'm doing this, Pastor. Mark. We're not animals, okay? Stop with the excuses. And it's easy to go, well, this is, oh, I can't help it. It just happens. And it's, oh, you know, it's, we fell. I don't know how it happened. It's easy to dismiss all that stuff. And it's easy to dismiss me when I talk about this stuff. But let's get to your life. Let's get to the struggles you're dealing with. The miracles you're asking God to perform in your life. The things that you need God for you to do. When you finally get the picture that you're sin. And I'm talking blatant, open stuff that's clear as a bell. You shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway. That stuff will stop your prayers. Straight up. And you can pray to your blue in the face. You're not going to get your miracle. You're not going to get your answers. That alone, when you start understanding what that does, that should be the motivator to get you to stop. It's not unlike the motivation to go to work. I mean, who wants to go to work? Nobody wants to go to work. Stop and think about it. If you could still get money, whether or not you went to work, would you go to work? Who'd go to work? We'd find every conceivable reason in the world, even though, even if the Bible tells us we should work. We, we well, I, I don't know. I, I just can't, Pastor. I just can't. We shouldn't have to really work. God doesn't really mind if we don't work. There's nothing, nothing really wrong with not working. Everybody doesn't work. But when it dawns in your head that you're not going to have any money, you're not going to have a place to live. You're not going to be able to have any food to eat. Suddenly, we all feel very highly motivated to go do something we don't want to do. we got to work or you're not going to have any. So even if my appeals, even if the Bible and God saying, don't do this because it's offensive to me, if that doesn't get through to you, at least the idea that you are not going to have God moving in your life if you don't knock off this outrageous behavior, that should finally start snapping you out of that. And it's the purpose of this whole message today. Once you realize your sin will hinder your prayers, it should give you the motivation you need to quit offering excuses and turn away from this stuff. I don't know about you, but I want and I need God answering the prayers in my life. I'm going to ask the ushers at this time to come forward at all the different campuses. Musicians can get ready to play as we get ready for our time of communion. Have you dealt with the sin problem in your life? I love this verse, also Isaiah, writing 
But now he's prophesying. God is speaking through him. And he says this, come now, let us reason together. I love that God saying, come on, you guys. Come on, think it through is what he's saying. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. He desires and wants and is quick to forgive. This is how we take care of the sins that we commit. We can't just keep crawling back into the same sewer over and over and over again thinking that it won't have an impact. It will. It does have an impact. Even as people of faith, even as Christians, these sins, if you persist, will keep you from experiencing God in His fullness in in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never even asked Christ in your life. Talk about sin keeping you away. I mean, that's it. You can be as good as you want. You can pray as hard as you want. If you don't let Christ come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, you will be forever separated from God. If you're willing to turn away from the wrong that's in your life this morning and put your faith in Christ, you can start your life of faith. I want us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. Everybody here and all the campuses, as we have our heads bowed, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Uh, for everyone that's here if, if, if you're visiting maybe for the first time I don't know maybe you've been here for years but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus now is the time to do it this is what we're celebrating God's forgiveness in our lives Jesus Christ died on the cross his body was broken his blood was shed so that your sins could be washed away and that you could be connected with God if you'll pray this prayer and mean this you can experience God's grace and forgiveness in your life today let's pray this together say dear Jesus I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much, you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my heart to you. 